We are all worthy, strong, and committed, and we are ready to go beyond our own limitations. Welcome back, my friends and loved ones, to the Rebel Minded Podcast. I'm your host, Zach, with my co-host, Thor, of course, and I'm here as a friend, a creator, a powerlifter, and a provocateur. And we are here to learn to question the one thing that keeps us from our best, ourselves. Join me as we dive deep to question and strengthen our communication and our vulnerability, create a healthier mind to commit to our goals, and how to give more to our lovers and the world. We're going to face the uncomfortable truths of what it means to be authentically and uniquely flawed, but awesome humans. So, let's get rebel-minded. Also, I'll bring in stories of all things powerlifting, Thor shenanigans, and probably some embarrassing mishaps. Let's do this. What up, humans? Are you a powerlifter too? Then why are we not friends? Actually, if you're any athlete, get yourself over here. I need some friends. As an athlete who has goals, I do my best to give my body what it needs to hit my powerlifting numbers. And a 500-pound deadlift is a formidable opponent. And cage muscle supplements are what I rely on to help me hit those goals. Cage Muscle is the cleanest and most effective product line I've ever used for supplementation, and I've been lifting forever. I never feel like my heart will implode and never feel like anything I take is doing absolutely nothing like so many other supplements out there. I train better, I recover better, and I sleep better due to the Caged Muscle products that I use. And to get where I want to go in fitness, Cage will always be my go-to. I don't want to sell you on cage muscle. I want you to feel the difference. I want you to feel cage muscle for yourself. So if you're looking for trying something new and very effective in your supplementation routine, make sure to get 15% off when you use my code HAMSTER15 at checkout. That's H-A-M-S-T-E-R-15 when you check out. Let's go hit some numbers, shall we? What's up, freaks? How you doing? Welcome back to the RMP where we question everything and become individual, skeptical, independent thinkers. I'm your host, Zach, and I wanted to mention to you that this episode is is very, very good. It does talk about, we do talk end up talking about a few things that might make you a little uneasy, but for the most part, that's probably more or less just me giving you, you a heads up, and it's probably just me expecting that somebody might get a little uncomfortable. But... Beyond that, it was a great, fantastic talk. I do have to mention there was a dog. Uh, we have a puppy that is actually, he barks a lot when his owner's not home. And so there was some background noise. I tried to edit it out. And I also was hyped up on some coffee. And I did not have control of myself very well on this episode. So I hope that you can disregard my rambling and pay attention as much as you can to the information that Rihanna gives out and the, the complete discussion that we have back and forth about all these different subjects. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So I don't want to get in the way. Let's fucking do this. Actually, I think the only time we've actually talked about like intimate and sexual things on the podcast was when the last time we spoke. So I mean, great let's segue. Do it again. Yeah, let's, let's do it again. Um, so the last thing that I think you and I talked about was this, uh, this idea of fantasy, right? And I think the thing that made me super curious was it, it was um, this idea, or or at least from my perspective, this idea that 
fantasy is this thing that lies outside of truth. It's almost like the the movies that we watch sometimes. We get so excited about these stories that can't exist, like the Marvel stuff. Like we get stoked about this stuff. So it almost hit me like that. Like fantasy is like this thing that we aren't necessarily going to get. So how have you bridged that for people? Like how did how how are you helping people get that to become some sort of reality? I mean, I'm I'm very curious for myself as well. So <laughs> yeah. So okay. If we can understand that our fantasies, one, that we don't really have control over them. So a lot of us, you know, if we have something that seems a bit scary or like, yeah. wow, is there something really wrong with me? Why am I fantasizing about this? That can, yeah. of course, induce shame. And I'll give you a few specific examples of that in a minute. But if we can separate our fantasies out and say, look, this fantasy is merely providing a sexual language for an emotional need, then we can start to get curious about it. So for example, and I'm going to bring this up because for many women, this is the most disturbing sexual fantasy um, that exists. Mm -hmm. And it's the idea of what used to be called like a rape fantasy, but now would be called a forced seduction um, or a consensual non-consent fantasy. Because really you're not actually fantasizing about being sexually assaulted. Like mm-hmm. as a woman, if I, you know, or any woman who has a fantasy like this, if you're actually walking down a dark street at night, you are not having a secret fantasy about a stranger jumping out and doing this to you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But so then how do we make sense of this? Well, mm-hmm. really for, for a lot of women, and I will tell you it's over 50% of women have fantasized about this. Wow. And over 50%, huge number. And what it is, it really just falls within the larger purview of BDSM and power exchange fantasies. Mm -hmm. And so what it is, is essentially you wanting to either be so irresistible to somebody that Ah. they can't control themselves or where you are literally overtaken so that your only job is just to lay there because 93% of women have fantasized about being sexually dominated. So this is just yeah. a subset of that. And usually what I find is that um, we're having to make a lot of decisions on our day-to-day basis. For a lot of women yeah. who are in committed relationships, that traditional gender uh, dynamic has changed. And so there is this desire um, for women to say, you know what? I don't want to have to work at this right now either. I want somebody to merely derive pleasure from me just existing and me not having to think about it. Does Got that it. make sense? No, it kind of does. And and so I'll relay this back to you and you, you tell me if this kind of sounds right. So um, ever, ever since the feminist movement, you know, women, women have found more power. There's there's more talk about equality and their and their ability. Um, and the way that I see it is that women are now taking on more masculine roles and there's a lot more independence. And so the way that sounds to me is that in different areas of their life, which this actually, this makes, this makes a lot of sense to me, different areas of their life, life, they're, they're asking for a way to balance that out almost because they're spending so they're like exhausting themselves in the masculine realm so much that they're fine. They're trying to. Do you think fantasy is created from that? Like having able to not have to be, to to fall back into their feminine, 
to have somebody else take control, to have somebody else be dominant. And, you know, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty much a pretty instinctive thing inside the, the male, the male gender. And, you know, the, the basis of masculinity is like, there's a lot of domination. And I'm, I try to say that without having a bias or like trying to say that's a, that's a good or bad thing. Like domination, the word itself, um, I think kind of gets defined sometimes in a negative light, but I mean, back to my question, do you think that that is literally, (laughs) coming back into balance from being overly masculine all the time? Yeah, a thousand percent. And, and so we can see trends. It's super interesting. And a lot of, um, kind of what I'm going to cite here is research that was done by Justin Lay Miller. Um, he is a sex researcher and he found that there was this gap in our knowledge about sexuality that mm-hmm. we were talking a lot about what people were doing, but we weren't talking very much about what people were thinking while yeah. they were doing it. So he wanted to do, you know, this large scale study, like what are people fantasizing about? Mm-hmm. And you can see that, um, if we're talking about genders here, that men who fantasize about sexual domination are typically men who are decision makers in their day-to-day lives who have, um, so the stereotype of like, you know, the guy who wants to be tied up and have a femdom whip him and he's a CEO by day. That's actually very true. Um, and if you look at political differences, so it tends to be more progressive folks who are into BDSM because, um, it's more taboo for them. It tends to be more liberal and feminists who are into submission because it's more taboo, that power exchange. And we are inherently um, fascinated by something that's taboo and it really turns us on sexually. If you look at the religious right, for example, their sexual fantasies are very different. So, and this is all, you know, statistically researched and documented. This isn't just according to Rena, but so if you look at, at the more conservative oh my God, that's population, a great, that's a great name of a show, by the way, according to Rena, <laughs> according to Rena, start a show. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm always like, look, trust, trust me. I'm just talking about what people who are way smarter than me have found out. about this. <laughs> but, um, but no, they, they found that within um, the more conservative population that the sexual fantasies tend to be about um, non-monogamy. And specifically, if we're talking about conservative men, cuckolding, which I'll define, which is the idea of um, being turned on by watching your female partner, your wife with another man, Mm -hmm. that is very common in the more conservative folks vis-a-vis looking at, at the progressive folks who are more looking at that power exchange, because the idea is that marriage within the conservative community is seen as sacred. Monogamy is the default setting. And what could be more taboo than getting off on watching your partner with another man? So that's the emotional need, right? Usually when we're talking about sexual fantasies, we're not actually talking about sex. It's some emotional need that we're trying to to fill. And that can be, I want to rebel against um, whatever confines I operate in, whether that's in a progressive world or a religiously conservative world, or it can be, you know, I just want to break from having to make decisions. And for some people, it's just as simple as like, I want to play because as adults, we don't play as often and it's important for us. And I know there's a play movement happening right now. And I'm not just talking about sexual play, but just, you know, play and understanding that 
that it's it's critical for our overall well-being. And so if you can see fantasy as just Dan Savage likes to say it's just uh cops and robbers for grown-ups, like <laughs> that's really all we're doing. We're pretending. Yeah. And we're pretending. And if we can do this with somebody who we trust, where we have very clear guidelines, we've got safe words, we've got all these things, it can be extremely therapeutic and fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. No, I, I um, it, whenever we talk, it, it, the more I've learned from my side, this is the great part about our distance because I'm starting to understand more about it um after doing you know my own work and research in in the realm of of men and it's it's confusing right like men are kind of portrayed as like these simple beings you know i think mostly because the way that we act out in the world seems pretty simple you know we're (laughs) almost in a way men i think are not portrayed as as like deep beings like the women are 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 considered more of the deep being right um but I think that's untrue. I think it's only because it's the way that we think. It's the it's the differences in in, in what we think about, right? Um, but I think that there's. I honestly think that there's a lot there. Um, the the one that thing that you were talking about with with the expression, right? Was the thing I found with a lot of men, and I don't know if. I don't know if I don't know if I can specifically name it to some sort of some sort of specific religious tie or anything, but it does seem no offense to anybody that's religious, but that religion can kind of make you feel bad about the human things that you actually are, you you know, and and for the general male population, it seems like guys are just expected to be, you know, the action takers and, you know, um, dominant and stoic and all this stuff. And the thing that I've tried to relay to men and the thing that I found for myself was that there's a purpose to everything that we do biologically as humans. Like emotions helped us build into what we are today. Like they're meant for a purpose. I think that they, they make us very strong socially. They make us very strong, like tribally, like, you know, communication wise, like that's how we, part of the reason we've learned to survive, I think is our emotions. And then men are being told to not feel these things, you know, just because a period in time, there's a lot of, of a period of time, where men are hyper masculine and for whatever reasons that may have been good back then and now, but now with modern society things are starting to change and like i don't think so let me say this first is that men have been kind of given this idea to to be without emotion besides like happiness and anger right and what i've been trying to relate to men is that you do need to feel those emotions. You may feel shame about feeling those emotions out in the open or talking to about other people, but they do need to be felt. And we have a lot of distractions in the world and it's very easy to numb ourselves out from having to deal with those emotions. But if men are not allowing themselves to be sad, if they're not allowing themselves to be a lot of things, then it's going to unhealthily be tapped into another emotion or another type of action. And men are very action oriented. And so it comes out in anger. It comes out in, in violence and aggression in unhealthy ways. I think, um, now I can't remember how that tied back in, but I I guess, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm like, do I remember how it tied back in? So we were talking about sexual fantasies. Mm -hmm. You you were bringing up religion in the confines of our lives, but, um, no, I don't know where we were going with that. Sorry. <laughs> I, I think here, let me see if I can tie it back in. I think 
what I was getting at was this idea of shame about what we want. I think, you know, mm. um, d- despite the gender dynamics and who's more masculine and who's more feminine, I think that it's like what you're saying, like fantasy is kind of this thing that we can feel ashamed about, but if we don't figure out what it's about and like learn how to fulfill those things, then our insides are kind of going to be eaten out, you know, or we're going to express it in a, in a bad direction. Right. Right. Because here's the thing. If a fantasy is left untouched, Mm -hmm. then it it can become a psychological preoccupation, which then turns it into like a fetish, which is something, you know, you, you don't really have, it's almost like a compulsion. You don't really have any control over it. So, but I want to distinguish the difference between a fantasy and a wish because not a a wish is a fantasy that you actually want to do. And so not everyone um, wants to do their fantasy. It's just something that turns them on psychologically to think about. Mm -hmm. So you need to ask yourself, okay, do I want to actually do this thing I'm fantasizing about? And if so is, can I find someone who's on board with it? And if they're not on board with it, what is maybe a different way that I can fulfill the emotional need that I'm trying to have met that mm-hmm. doesn't involve this fantasy? Because maybe the fantasy, the most common fantasy overall for all genders is a threesome, like a multiple partner fantasy. Mm-hmm. And they found that women tend to fantasize about threesomes for a different reason than men do. I so yeah, but when we fantasize about it, we actually tend to not fantasize about certain people there. Like we're not, we're not looking at, okay, this person's face looks like this, or, you know, these are the people involved. It's just this idea of, I get to be the center of attention and receive pleasure. Whereas when men tend to fantasize about threesomes or multiple partner fantasies, they are the ones who are conquering the people there. And so they tend to have specific people in mind when they fantasize. So maybe you and your partner come together and you're like, yeah, I fantasized about threesomes because who hasn't? The research shows most people have, but you decide, you know, I don't, I don't think we want to go there. That might be a bit too risky for our relationship. So then how can we safely meet those emotional needs mm-hmm. of you feeling like you're the badass in control and me feeling like I'm the center of attention without actually bringing a third person in. And there's, there's ways to do that. Like I was going to say, I'm going to try to think about this for a second, but I don't think I can, I don't think I can come up with anything. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is the idea of like, you just pretend to be someone else. Like you both kind of pretend to be someone else. Okay. And you don't have to bring anyone else in. You can even pretend to be multiple people on multiple occasions. Mm -hmm. Um, You can, if you wanted to, there are lots of play parties you can go to. A lot of them are doing hybrid where they're doing them in person and doing them online. So you can feel like you're part of a group sex community where you're watching. And if you want to be watched, you can be watched too. There's no risk there of the damage that could potentially happen by bringing a third person in because there are risks. There are risks. I'm not going to lie and say there aren't any, mm-hmm. um, but I know people who've navigated it extremely well, but you have to have a really rock solid relationship with rock solid communication to even go there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to circle back. Sorry. Now, now I'm like, I want to go back to something else. You said, Zach, no, let's do it. Um, which was about the pressure that men feel, because mm-hmm. I talk about this a lot because I, you know, it, I would be negligent to just talk about 
all the pressures we feel as women, because I, I, men are feeling a tremendous amount of pressure to be masculine Mm -hmm. and this manifests in the bedroom. Um, there's a book by Sarah Hunter Marie, and it's called not always in the mood. And it's all about the new science of men, sex and relationships. Mm -hmm. And what she's found is that men want to have sex for the same reasons women do. So all the new science tends to show that men are not from Mars and women are not from Venus. We're actually pretty dang similar and that men will initiate sex, initiate sex, even when they're not in the mood, because men are so conditioned to think like, this is a part of my masculinity. I'm supposed to be seen as a, as Dan Savage says, a testosterone soaked dick monster. That's what it is to be a man. <laughs> I love and that so, guy. yeah, I know. And so women we're expected to, to decline sex when we're not in the mood, but men you're expected if your partner wants sex and you don't, and you say no, mm-hmm. it can destroy women because there are these pressures and misconceptions like, well, men are always in the mood and no men are not always in the mood. But oftentimes they're actually having sex and initiating sex when they're not in the mood so that they can, you know, prove to their partner, I'm attracted to, you know, all these things. And so and probably prove to themselves. Yes, yes, yes. And so there's it's it gets complicated when mm-hmm. um, when we talk about a relationship where there's either a mismatched libido or, you know, even the daily one person's in the mood and the other person isn't. And how do you safely navigate that? And so what I tell women is if you are in the mood and your partner isn't, don't take it personally in the same way that you don't want your partner to take it personally. If you're not in the mood, like men have feelings too. Mm-hmm. And usually when they're coming to you <clears throat> and they want to have sex, it's very rarely about the sex. It's usually a bid for connection. And so if you can be compassionate and say, you know, I'm not in the mood right now, but suggest a different time and then offer to cuddle instead, like that is how you, you turn down sex in a compassionate and respectful way, but that's not always what happens. (laughs) So I'm just here, you know, shouting this all from the rooftop so that we can all understand each other a bit better men and women. Um, because I don't want to just say like, men, you have to understand women better. Like, no, we can all do a better job mm-hmm. of understanding one another better. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, from, from, from the male side, um, and I'm not a sex expert on the male side, but I definitely understand where there, there does seem to be like this, this pressure. Uh, and I feel like it's, it's overtaking male mindsets in a lot of ways. And this isn't to say that women don't constantly stress too. I think it's the world as a whole. Like there's just so much going on, but um, men can be in a constant state of stress and act more than they feel almost, you know, in a, in a, in a way. And it almost becomes like this psychological uh, overtaking of, of what's expected of you rather than, you know, filling your own expectations. Um, and then you feel shame for not being the right thing for your partner. And then you ask yourself, you know, is, is this going to affect us? Is this going to, cause I, I definitely agree that there's times when men don't want to have sex. There's times when men, uh, feel ashamed themselves. There's times when men, um, don't know what to do with a situation and try to air, 
I don't want to say arrogant. Maybe I, maybe I do. Arrogantly play it out as if they they know. And I think that then comes in a um, an emotional and physical miscommunication, right? And you and I have we we talked the last time about how important that communication is too, because it's it almost becomes more difficult in the intimate moments, right? Because things are just kind of expected to to go a certain way, and we end up kind of beelining towards a finish line rather than actually exploring the world around you and you know seeing that your partner enjoys something over here that you've never heard of even if you've been in a relationship with them for five years does that kind of make sense yeah and yeah. you know you gotta be i i swear one of these days i'll start collecting royalties from all the people who i quote all the dang time <laughs> but, but you know dan savage he's like just be ggg yeah. good giving in game and you good don't have to game. share all of the sexual preferences that your partner does. Mm -hmm. But if you go into it with curiosity, like, Hey, like what? Yeah. What do you like about that? And say, you know what? I'll give anything a try once you might really surprise yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, I can certainly say for myself, there are things that I was like, Nope, I would never be into that. And then there are fantasies I've had where I was like, I can't wait till I get to try this that I was like, mm, not for me actually. Mm -hmm. So and then things I thought I would hate that I end up just absolutely loving. And mm -hmm. so you don't know unless you can safely just lean into it mm -hmm. and, and be supportive to your partner and their fantasies too. Um, and, you know, women, the other side of the coin is that we are seen as inherently wanting sex less than men do. And that is also untrue and problematic. And so while men on the one hand are being like pressured into you got, you know, you have to uphold this masculine ideal of wanting sex all the time. Mm -hmm. Women are being told like you have to be chased and pursued because you have this thing that men want that has nothing to do with you and your own sexuality and your own pleasure. Um, and you can't go around having too much fun or else you're going to be slut shamed instead of getting high fived in the locker room by your male. Exactly. Counterpart, right. So there's a lot of pressure going on, but if we can actually just like strip this all away and look at the data and look at the research and look at the science that says we're actually pretty freaking similar mm -hmm. when it comes to sex, we have the same sex drive as far as how often we want it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what do we do with that? Then we can remove some of that pressure for men, some of that slut shaming for women and just have some fun, like make sex fun again mm -hmm. for the love. I mean, it's for a lot of people, sex can be, um, a dark place because of trauma yeah, and all yeah. of that. But if we can heal some of that, I firmly believe that if you can heal your intimacy and your sexuality, which is the most hidden and often shameful part of who you are. If you can heal that, mm -hmm. it heals everything. And okay. I've seen this through my own work I've done with women because they're like, I came to you with help in this very narrow thing and it's changed my entire life. Wow. Because if you can say, I want to work on that most shameful part of me. Mm -hmm. And for women, that is the most shameful part of us. Then and, and you can say, wow, I am empowered in the bedroom. You can be empowered. You're empowered everywhere. So, um, but, but we've got to have those conversations. We've got to start having compassion for one another and giving ourselves some grace based on 
the religious upbringing, the familial upbringing, and just the societal messaging that we get that's telling us, you know, you're dirty, you're wrong, there's something wrong with you. To say like, no, I I am inherently worthy of pleasure and intimacy is my birthright. Mm-hmm. Um, so soapbox rant over. <laughs> no, no, I, I think it's I think it's all good, Rena. Um the the way so this is out of personal curiosity, and I want to see where this goes. So I think it was after the last time we spoke. Um, I it might have been before, maybe. Um, I had I had read this book um called She Comes First, right? Mm-hmm. By Ian Kerner. Yes. And I thought it was fantastic. Like I myself thought I was almost onto something, but the the book really opened, <laughs> like really opened my mind about it. Um, and I the reason I want to put this out there is because for the male listeners that I have, I want them to be able to humble themselves to the idea that they don't have to know everything. And the fact that they don't know everything and that actually that communication that we talked about last time with your partner is going to amplify the pre- the pleasure that you have and your partner has. And I I want to, if you're okay with it, to kind of go into this idea of the differences of those pleasure, because I think what something that's important, which I've started to find as I've got older, is the more that I have the desire to give, the more I'm more satisfied too. And Does that make sense? What- yeah, so they've actually found they meaning, you know, the the people smarter than Marina, than Rena whose <laughs> job it is to research this stuff that um the thing that turns men on the most during a sexual experience is bringing pleasure to their partner. Mm-hmm. So, if as a woman, you can figure out what's going to bring you pleasure and communicate that, not mm-hmm. only are you then getting what you want, but your partner's having a better sexual experience too. And so I you know, stop faking orgasms, stop doing all the things. But, you know, I think she comes first is a really good place to start as far as just understanding how female sexual pleasure and arousal and desire work. Mm -hmm. But I will add this caveat for all your male listeners too. Yeah, because now, you know, I've, I've educated thousands of women and I've worked one-on-one with dozens of clients. And I can tell you no two women are the same Mm -hmm. down to how they even want to be touched on their body let alone to how they prefer to orgasm. So what worked for the last woman you were with, I can guarantee you is not going to be the same thing that's going to work for the next woman. Mm -hmm. So yes, you can read some books, you can get some techniques, you can read um, Come As You Are, which is kind of the Bible for female sexuality. It's waiting so good. Okay. But yeah, um, that's a good one. She Comes First is a great one too. But really, um, and then of course, if you want to learn more about male sexuality and kind of dissolve some of your own shame, then I would recommend Not Always in the Mood. That's a great book. But understand that you can read all the books in the world, mm-hmm. but you have to get, you, you're only going to be able to get it from the source as far as what she wants. Mm-hmm. Because all what all those books say is that we're all totally unique. Mm-hmm. And so you still have to have the conversations. There's no getting around that. Yeah. Right. But, but getting curious about female sexual pleasure, like the reason so many women are faking orgasm is, is because they don't want to hurt their partner's feelings. Mm-hmm. And if men can understand like, Oh no, wait, this is just her body isn't built that way. Yeah. Most women's bodies are not 
built to orgasm through just penetration alone, Mm -hmm. then it's not about you at all. And so educating yourself can help you just come at this with more curiosity so that you're not taking it personally, but yeah, have the conversations, um, get curious about what kind of touch feels good and what do you like? I mean, these are perfectly normal conversations to have. I know that they seem a bit squicky for people, but we have no reservations about asking someone on a date, like, you know, what's your favorite kind of food? Mm-hmm. Do you, do you like spicy food? Do you not like spicy food? What are your views on sushi? Like, what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Mm-hmm. Get curious. And this is exactly yeah. what you do when it comes to sex, too. You know, and I can see why it's such a difficult realm. Like, there's so much vulnerability there. But to me, that also means that there's almost like, oh, like tying back to what you're saying is like, there's so much room for growth because that's one of the most uncomfortable spots. So and I'll, I'll have you verify this. I, I don't know the exact number, but there's such a higher number, like a percentage of women that are can orgasm by clitoral simulation rather than penetration, like kind of like what you're saying. Like that's a, a lot higher number than just penetration, correct? Overwhelmingly higher number. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, the the range is kind of somewhere between 15 to 20%. And some people say it's even lower than that. Mm -hmm. That's the number of women who can reliably orgasm through penetration. And it's usually because of the way their body is built, that their, um, the external part of their clitoris is actually very close to the vaginal opening. Mm -hmm. So that's really it. It's just that like, you're still actually hitting the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, or because we now know that the clitoris actually extends all the way back into our body. Mm-hmm. Certain women are, are having a different part of their clitoris hit through penetration. So it's still a clitoral orgasm. But um, if you look at the stats, 95% of women who masturbate do so without any penetration whatsoever. Jesus. That kind of speaks volumes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 and that's why I think it's, even though it's kind of a sensitive thing for us to talk about, I think it's very important for men to know, because what I, what I found in the book was that there's so many different areas of stimulation. Yeah. The clitoris has like the most, uh, nerve endings, right? Like 8,000 uh-huh. or something like that. Um, but if men can get humble, if men can be vulnerable, if men can say that they don't know and they don't because like you said every woman's different even if clitoral stimulation is like the the one thing that doesn't mean go in there and like start doing everything you can in that one spot because it's easy to disappear for women and right like it, mm-hmm. it it has to be i don't know maybe you can explain this better than i can but it, there's a process to it like there's an amount of time to it um and i think that that's just that basic idea for men can help change how well they gratify their partner if they stop worrying so much about performance and pay attention to like the actual female anatomy know where those stimulation points are because it's it's not just the clitoris it's the vulva it's like there's stimulation points in the top and the bottom and like all over the place (laughs) all over the place and i don't want to start naming all the parts because i don't know them as well obviously but I think that this is a very important thing for men to know and know that this is like not a two minute thing. I don't care if you go down there for two minutes. It's probably going to take more than two minutes. Maybe. I don't know. But um, I yes, want to put some real emphasis on that. 
usually it's a minimum of 20 minutes as far as what the research shows for most, I think it's something like 85% of women, um, can reach orgasm after 20 minutes, but, um, because it takes men a shorter period of time to orgasm, they're like, okay, well I'll just give up. Or women are like, okay, just give up. And really, Mm -hmm. um, but for some women, it can take much, much, much longer Mm -hmm. for some women. It's not going to happen through oral at all. And you want to bring in some toys or do something else. So it's gonna, but yes, be patient, be patient. And then that's where that communication comes in, right? Like, Hey, do you, is this what you need? Like, how do I get you to this point? How do I help you orgasm? Like whatever. And then I, yeah, I mean, let's start with that first before I get too carried away. (laughs) I think I'm trying to get too carried away. Yeah. Because there are some women who need a vibrator in order to orgasm period. And there's no shame in that. And, but well, there shouldn't be any shame in that. Right. But a lot of women are like, what's wrong with me? I'm broken. You know, I don't think that the last several relationships that I've had, um, every one of them had some sort of toy, you know, and, and a couple of them actually were like, they were almost ashamed of having the toy because I had, I don't know why I was open about it. But I was like, Hey, do you have any of this stuff? Like we can use this. And, um, they were almost taken aback. Like, I'm not saying I'm a God, I know everything about, you know, the female body, but I was curious and I wanted, I wanted to make sure that she got as much pleasure from it as I did, but it seemed weird to me almost that they were so, uh, almost protective of that idea and, uh, or taken aback by, by my approach to it. Um, but I think it's important for men to know and women to know so that we can help each other get to to that point, you know? Um, well, and if you think about it this way, that if you're dealing or dating women who have shame around mm self-pleasure and of course they're associating the toy with something that is done in the shadows, that is shameful, that Mm -hmm. is sinful maybe even. And so to bring that out into the bedroom with a partner can seem really, um, incongruous. So you really almost have to go in there and dissolve and start working on some of those underlying beliefs about pleasure, just being sinful to begin with, Mm -hmm. because then it's no wonder you're like, Oh, this thing, like, no, this is the secret thing. This is the bad thing. This is the dirty thing. But I I love that you normalize that for them. Um, Well, I, I think there's so much that um, has been surface level given to us that we're afraid to cross any lines about things. Um, and communication is good for every part of our life. You know, it, it makes us better as humans when we can communicate, when we can get past fear and being uncomfortable and feeling embarrassed about having talks or with other people that, that know more than us or have a completely different perspective than us. And the reason I want to talk about it is because it seems like we separate so much, like there's so much air in the middle. Um, and it's causing a lot of stress because we don't know how to approach a lot of things. Um, like what you're talking about before. Um, I personally, like I have a lot of healing to do with my own masculine energy. Right. But I think it is one of the hottest things when a girl approaches me, um, and asks about me or she, you know, she, uh, she's assertive about something inside or outside the bedroom. Not always because I like to be able to one to, to kind of uh, be, be be decisive, but those random times when she does that, it's it's shocking and it's fun and it's like the hottest thing that 
ever happens in my <laughs> in my opinion. I love that um, because <laughs> I think it's it shows that somebody can get outside of their own energy and they they under you know they're okay with flow of our energy and like not being afraid to be something else every once in a while. I don't know is that. Well, and I, once again, I will tell you that the research completely supports what you were saying. Mm -hmm. So when I said before, what turns men on in the bedroom, um, it's pleasing their partner. That's, that's, that's the, the number one turn on what characteristic do men find most attractive in women? Mm -hmm. The research has shown it's confidence. And that's exactly what you're describing. Yeah. Um, because you can be a, you can conform to all the standards of conventional beauty. I say this all the time. You can get all the surgery you want, work out seven days a week as a woman, but if you don't work on the mindset, then, then, you know, the most men aren't going to be attracted to you in that way. Mm -hmm. And so the confidence needs to start with your own worthiness. Like, yeah, I agree. And, yeah. Right. And saying like, no, of course, I'm going to talk about what I what I want and need. Like I'm worthy of pleasure. Right. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying makes absolute sense that for you, it's a turn on to have a woman who can confidently say what she wants or sometimes, you know, take the lead a little bit. Yeah, that that is you are not alone. That's what mm -hmm. I'm trying to say. I'm like, you are normal, Zach. This is totally normal. Well, and and I think uh, it took me a while to, <laughs> to be OK with that. Like it takes a lot of work to accept yourself as you are. And not be freaked out thinking that you're different because you're fucking supposed to be different. Um, but so I, I want to I want to ask you about this really quick because I'm I'm curious of of your position on it. So back to the idea of of men actually wanting to please women, right? It's like it's like this weird mirror, right? Of of what is actually healthy and then what's actually un unhealthy. And I'll explain what I mean. Like guys wanting to please women and. Be, in an unhealthy way, like being these high performers and like going in really hard and like thinking they know it and they know everything about the sexual situation. And um, I think maybe it's society or maybe it's, I mean, it's probably a lot of it. It's porn. A lot of it's probably porn has given men a super wrong idea of how to go about this because they go in, you know, in porn, it's, it's almost always hard, fast, um, the bigger, the better, you know, and it's so fucking wrong. For the most part, I think it's it's so wrong um, as far as giving the idea. So men wanting to please women and then going in in the way that they do with porn and, you know, expecting her to 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 moan, you know, through the ages, you know, with her uh -huh. orgasm, when really she like what you're saying, like she might feel shame and she might be faking it because she doesn't want him to feel bad. Mm -hmm. And then the healthy, healthier version of that would be, you know, him taking it slow, him trying to understand what she needs, asking her what, what she needs, and that actually being the healthier version of, of giving her pleasure. Does that, does that make sense? Like there's, it's almost like a lot of us men have been told the wrong way to do it. And so we're performing in a way that we think that we're giving her the pleasure, pleasure that she wants, but it's actually the wrong way to go about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it does a disservice to women too, because we're mm -hmm. learning from porn as well, right? We're learning yeah. about how our body should look, how we should, of course, I always throw the air quotes around should, mm -hmm. should um, orgasm. And so porn, I think is an extremely valuable tool if used responsibly. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I'm not the first person to make the analogy that, um, watching porn to learn how to have sex is like watching NASCAR to learn how to drive, <laughs> right? It's, um, 
but you can find some porn that is either women-based or ethically produced or more amateur porn that is more realistic. So understanding that what you're watching isn't actually how bodies operate, Mm -hmm. um, that that is not a normal penis size, that, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those things um, is, is helpful. But say your thing is like, look, as a woman, say you're like, I don't like, I know I won't be able to get off by what I'm watching in that porn, but it actually mm-hmm. just turns me on to watch a guy mm-hmm. just do hard and fast, like you were just saying. Yeah. And that might be totally okay, but you got to know what you want first. And so maybe what you do is find a porn that you like, that you're interested in trying and send it to your partner mm-hmm. and have a conversation about it and use that as a starting point. But really, like you were saying, if as men, you can come in and get curious Say like, what do you like? Mm-hmm. And and you don't even have to do it in the moment, in the bedroom. I'm all about having the conversations outside of the bedroom so that you can fully Ooh. just be present mm-hmm. um, and say like, what's your favorite way to get off? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think it is, I guess, technically, I don't think we've had it like uh, a unstimulated conversation out in the open, right? Do you think it's actually easier to have it almost out in the open rather than in intimate situations? Because it seems like there's a lot of pressure in in like the intimate sexual situation. So just go rather than ask. (laughs) Let me tell you, if you ever have the pleasure of sitting next to me and my partner at like a restaurant, I mean, at the next table over, um, for one, I apologize to you because like (laughs) we... That, like, yeah, that's, that's when we tend to talk about these yeah. things Yeah, because you, the beauty in talking about things outside of the bedroom is that, yeah, once you get there, mm-hmm. you can just have fun and you don't have to have the conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, it's one of my favorite things. We, we were out to dinner last night and, um, <laughs> we were sitting at, it's like this tiny, very intimate, um, Japanese place near where we live. And they set us at, at the at the bar. So we were literally right next to people. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, I really, you know, I hope, I hope that either they're not listening or that maybe they learned something. I don't know, because we were, you know, having some pretty um, interesting discussions and not to like arouse each other. It wasn't like, Oh, guess what we're going to do later. But having like a dialogue and discussion about certain things in our our sex life and, Mm -hmm. you know, things we want to try and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think the best place to do it is outside of the bedroom and the research supports that couples who are able to have these intimate conversations mm-hmm. are about five times more likely to report high relationship satisfaction. Ooh. So it, yeah, just overall. And that's that's from the Gottmans um, who are yes. the, the godfathers of relationship science. So mm-hmm. so yeah, this again, not just according to Rena. no i i trust you i i watch all of your content and there's so much data that you put out there um and it just it just backs up your work um so i i definitely love seeing it so do you think that that practice is do you think it becomes easier too like as you start to do it out in the open like you have these conversations and it almost becomes just a regular conversation just except Exactly. You hit the nail on the head and everything's going to feel weird the first time you do it because it's new. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you can normalize having these discussions much like you would normalize, you know, oh, hey, so what we're going to go grocery shopping tomorrow. What do we want to get next week? And you can just make this a non-taboo topic Mm -hmm. that you can just safely discuss and kind of remove some of that shameful charge from it. Mm -hmm. 
it gets so much easier over time, perhaps too easy because now I don't even like, I have zero consideration for the people <laughs> around me most of the time. Cause I'm like, there's no like differentiation in my yeah. brain anymore when I'm talking. About no shame. Sex. No shame. No shame when it comes to that. No, 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 no. Um, so one of your, one of your recent posts, which I didn't dig into, but I got curious about whenever I saw it, I just did not have a chance to ask you was this idea of spectate spectatoring i think spectatoring yeah yeah can you can you explain that to everybody including myself i will yes so spectatoring is um like being a spectator right so we see this a lot with women and maybe you can tell me if this happens to men too Mm -hmm. where you're you're engaging in some sort of sexual activity and instead of actually just being there in your body you almost come outside of your body and you're like this third person in the room and not like, I'm not talking about dissociating, but it's like, Oh wait, is he seeing my fat rolls right now? You, so you're trying to look at yourself through someone else's eyes and it's usually through a very critical gaze. Yeah. And I can see that. Right. And so that becomes problematic because women will be like, Oh, turn off the lights or, and so if someone says turn off the lights, that's like ding, 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 uh, alarm bell that spectatoring mm-hmm. is happening um or like somebody who's you know trying to cover up or anyone who's um being overly performative with like the porn star moaning and all of that that is a telltale sign that there can be spectatoring happening mm-hmm. and what that says is that you're actually not fully present and connected it's a lot it's very hard to reach orgasm when you're doing that because you're not actually in your body so it's problematic particularly for women. Um, and I don't know, I'll let you speak to whether this happens to men or, you know, if you have any experience with it. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess I would start personally. So the first thing that comes to mind is um, there were times in a relationship and it was kind of reflected by how we were doing. She could not orgasm the same way during certain periods. So it was like, she almost was more disconnected and it may have been because she was disconnected from me. Like we were having trouble in the relationship. And then other times it was like, it was like, we, we were, it it didn't even feel, it was so fluid, right? It was so fluid. And, um, it was, it was super, uh, there's so much going on physically in the body. Like there's so much pleasure going on the body and, you know, her orgasm and my orgasm happened quicker than any other time. And it seemed to be connected to the way that we, uh, how our relationship was going almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because for women, especially, and I think for men too, um, we have our accelerators and we have our brakes, the things that push down, uh, our our brakes are the things that get us out of the mood and our accelerators are the things Mm -hmm. that get us in the mood. And keep us in the mood. And if you've got anxiety or a lack of trust happening or stress, um, that can push down on a lot of women's breaks Mm -hmm. and make that make you feel disconnected. And you can probably sense that if you're Mm -hmm. in the moment and then you feel disconnected because this is no longer a safe and connected space for both of you. Mm -hmm. But again, Every woman's uh, accelerators and brakes are unique to her and different. Because some women, when they're super stressed out, they're like, let's just blow off some steam. Like, mm-hmm. I want to have sex. But for yeah. the majority of women, stress, anxiety, or any kind of um, difficulty 
in the relationship is absolutely going to affect the quality of the sex you're having. So do you think it actually, and I say this very vaguely and it kind of will sound like I'm blanketing, but do you think that it's very easy then for women to be disconnected from their stimulation because of emotional things like, or, you know, stress or anxiety? Cause that's kind of what it felt like almost. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, perfect. Awesome. I I totally understand all the things. (laughs) And I think I I think you said that you bought Come As You Are, but you haven't started reading it yet. You will you will learn all the things from that. Perfect. I have a Bible. You have a Bible. I don't I don't even I don't even know why I'm single. I know why why I'm single is because I'm I'm a little selfless for my time. But um no to go back to your I don't wanna I don't wanna uh, turn the next page without actually answering your question. I think it's almost like if you're in a mode for so long that you don't actually know that you're in something that doesn't work well for you. So you're talking about the spectatoring, right? I think that a lot of times men are so confident in what they're doing, but it they do have their head in the action. They don't have their head in the moment. I think a lot of men are like that if they're not understanding of their partner or if they're... um unsure of what the other person needs because then it just goes straight back to action it goes straight back to performance performance yes exactly it's performance all the things that that an intimate partner that i would have you know all these things that she'd have issues with like my last partner she didn't want the lights on like most of the time never and she was probably the most she wasn't like model skinny like i don't it's not what I'm attracted to. She had probably the the best body type that I enjoyed. Like, I thought she was awesome. And, you know, quote unquote, perfect. Like her body type was like my favorite body type. And so I didn't have any issues with what was going on. And she never said anything about it. It was just straight to like, hey, I, I want the lights to be off. And, I, you know, I just went along with it because it moved. <laughs> it moved the the action along. It, you know, it moved the the whole situation along. Um, and I didn't want her to be uncomfortable if that was the case, you know, um, and maybe, maybe we learn to, to maybe in our evolution, like we become better with our eyes because we <laughs> do things in the dark so much now. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think men are most of the time disconnected and they, and they don't know it because they're only connected to what they think is performative. Mm. I mean, it doesn't get for me, like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it any deeper than that. I think that there's probably a psychological mess in there somewhere. Um, but I think most men are disconnected and, and too connected to what they think is performance, you know? And I, I think, I think that they, I think men are still seeing as the two bodies are, are very separate things rather than like a molding of the two to where you do create fluidity, where you do create, um, um, like real intense connection, if that makes sense. But I can't explain it as well as you, as well as you can. Ultimately, no, I, but, I mean, that's what there. intimacy is, right? Like sex mm-hmm. and intimacy are not the same thing. And in order to be truly intimate Agreed. and okay. have that yeah. kind of amazing sex with somebody, you have to allow yourself to be fully seen by them. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that. If you're keeping the lights off, you can't do that if you're performing. Mm-hmm. So that's really the thing is when I hear from women, yes, of course, I, I spectator, I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, 
okay, we need to work on some vulnerability. We need to work on some shame. And that's really, it's just a symptom of, of an underlying thing. And, and that underlying thing is always shame, always, always, mm-hmm. always shame, which is why, you know, my coaching program is called shameless because if we can figure out where that shame is coming from, then it, it's just, you don't even think about whether the lights are on or off, but, mm-hmm. um, but you know, there's also some like body image things too, which to be a woman is to see your body as like a battle zone in a lot of ways. And, um, there's a class I teach on how to love your body with the lights on, because this is something women struggle with. And, mm-hmm. and it's about surrounding yourself with positive, um, positive images. So go watch some ethically produced non-actor porn for one. <laughs> okay. See real bodies moving mm-hmm. around, like make love, not porn is a good site for that because those are just real people like, mm-hmm. and, um, real people, real couples having sex mm-hmm. and that's what it is. And start to feed your brain some new input Um, don't say anything to yourself that you wouldn't say to your daughter, your niece, or your best friends, um, start spending some time looking in the mirror to see your body as a thing of beauty, because we can look in the mirror and name a hundred things we don't like about our body. Mm -hmm. But I challenge women, you know, spend a day every day for the next week and write down one thing that you see that you like, and -hmm. that's it. And this is an exercise that is tough for a lot of folks because, our brain isn't used to doing that. We're used to looking for the negative and then just have some perspective. Like you said, Zach, the woman who you dated, um, who had the most attractive to you, like body type was insecure about it. And I think about, let me ask you, The best lover or lovers you've ever had, have they had stereotypical perfect bodies? Not even close. Yeah, right? But were they confident in their own skin? A couple were. Most of them. Well, I mean, I guess it would depend on uh, what part of life. Like if we're talking like in, in, in a sexual situation, it seemed like they were definitely more timid about, you know, they didn't have the confidence that I saw, you know, not the same confidence that they had outside of the bedroom, like in regular life things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand, I understand that because it's such a vulnerable position to be in. Uh, but so the last girl I did, she was overly confident. Like she was, she thought she was funny, which she, she was, she was very funny. Um, and she was very confident in her work. Um, she was she was very, very smart. And she had no fear of like getting in my face and saying, hey, like, this is this is what I know. This is how I know myself. Don't fuck with me. And secretly, Rena, like that's like that was hot as shit when she was like on her. She was on her confident pedestal and she could tell me straight up without, you know. Me expecting to like I have to level down because she's because I can't win this conversation. And it wasn't about winning the conversation, but it was like, I saw her power whenever she, we argued and it was the hottest thing ever. So hot. <laughs> um, but she also was the person that in bed was probably the most timid, like she, mm-hmm. where she had the least amount of confidence. And well, let me, let me ask you though, the best, the best sex though. So the best lovers that you've had mm-hmm. and they had perfect bodies. No, no, no. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And I ask women this all the time, best lovers you've had, they had perfect bodies. Have they had porn star penises and like Mm -hmm. perfect bodies? And again, I use air quotes around should, and I use air quotes around perfect because they're problematic words, but you can't see that anyone listening because this is a podcast, but, um, yeah. And so it's this idea of perspective Mm -hmm. that think of the best lovers you've ever had. One, did they have perfect bodies? Probably not. And number two, but were they confident in their own skin? And how mm-hmm. did their comfort in their own body impact the quality of the sex you two had? Mm-hmm. And so kind of flipping it a little bit and saying to the women, like, you don't need to have a perfect body to be confident. And in fact, you can look at your own track record and, mm-hmm. and confidently say, no, the best lovers I've ever had, they were just normal people. And mm-hmm. I'm just a normal person. And how do I know I'm a normal person? Oh, because I'm surrounding myself with images of normal people now mm-hmm. instead of images of models, actors, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So those are just kind of like the down there nitty gritty, like this, you know, I teach, I teach a whole class on this, but just giving you the overview of how do you begin to do that? Loving your mm-hmm. body with the lights on. But I think it's equally applicable to men too. Um, this isn't unique to women. So these are all tips that can be applied by anyone. Well, and there's there's so much of that that difference too. Like my confidence issues lie so far outside of the bedroom. <laughs> you know, it's I don't know if this is just me saying it is probably not gonna necessarily help. But for the ladies, just so you know, he's he's more like he sees a naked body and he's excited about every part of it. And he's like, oh, my God, look how hot she looks in this position or look how fast I'm going or look how big it looks from this <laughs> this position. Or there's so much that he's actually not thinking about. And most of the times, like all the time, like I don't think I have a situation where I was like, "Ooh, you know, I I just I was in the moment. Most guys are just in the moment and they're loving every piece of it, even if they're, you know, so obsessed with performance and they may not be as connected to their partner as they are. The, what what's going through their head is far from, you know, maybe the shame that women have about their bodies during, during sex, you mm-hmm. know, men are, men are all over it, you know, and they're, <laughs> it's amazing the confidence or maybe arrogance that men can have in a bedroom <laughs> and we can fuck it up so bad, but that's, you know, where the, the, um, the, the imbalance is at, and that's where communication become around full circle like rena and i have both decided like communication's fucking key in the bedroom it's a huge deal um i i would like to kind of get your perspective on this because i think that there's a difference in how it messes with it or what it does to us psychologically and i don't know so i've had a a personal vendetta almost against the porn industry. And mm. from the the male, from the male end of it, what I've found is that it takes away the investment for men. And this this is I'm speaking men. And I, I'm very curious about the female side of this because I think females probably have more control of it. And I think it's more connected to like their desires and fantasies. Where for men on the other side, it's impulse and it's um, uh, it's an easy way for men to get something physically without them actually doing the work. And so I'm very 
I don't want to say strict. I'm very judgmental on what porn does to men because it takes away their investment to actually move into a relationship. So if, if a man does, if men don't uh, masturbate for so long, right. And they don't have that release, then after so much time, like it, it becomes a high desire, but it's very easy for them to go to something like porn and get off. And then it actually takes away their ability to be confident and, and like approach women and, um, and actually do the work that they would need to, to incorporate a relationship into their life. So men can get carried away where it almost becomes this addiction because it gets them their physical need. And then they don't have to actually initiate with the opposite sex. If they have confidence issues, if they're quote unquote, a, a beta male, um, and whether that come from, you know, bad relationships, or if that comes from like not having a male figure to kind of teach you the ropes, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I think it's very destructive of male mindsets if they don't understand what's happening. I could almost see porn being something good to like share with your partner so that you guys learn about each other. But for single men or even men in relationships, I think, you know, if, they, if they're almost hiding it from their partner, then there's something that after so much time of using that, you know, and it becoming an actual abusive problem or addictive problem that it's it's psychologically like dissolving men's minds and takes them away from like their human ability to connect with with women and be in the moment and like it gives it gives men like this wrong idea of how women should look and how they should act like we kind of talked about a little bit um so men go out into the world thinking that if they're going to find a relationship that this woman is going to have to look perfect and if she doesn't scream in the bedroom from orgasm, then she's, you know, she's must not be the one, you know? Um, and I think it can just hurt men mentally pretty badly. I think it it's, it's happening a lot. And I think it's because porn is, is very easily accessible. Um, I don't think I, I just, I think it's more of something that would be kind of like a tool, but mm -hmm. not something that should be used repeatedly for men to get off because it takes away their ability to actually be social and be confident with the opposite sex. Or, I mean, even if they're, even if they're, you know, something besides a, a regular male, female relationship, does that make sense? Yeah. I think there's a lot to unpack there. So there let me is. Start. So, so I, I, started, think, I yeah. threw a lot at you. I apologize. No, no, no. So here's, <clears throat> I agree with you in certain respects and I, and I disagree in others. That's totally and, okay. And also, but with the caveat that clearly I'm not a man, but, um, I think if we're talking about boys and teenagers, and this is how they're learning about sex and it's having a detrimental effect on them, not seeing non-porn star women as beautiful. Like, yeah, if this is all you're feeding your brain about sex, this is all it knows and you can't yeah. know anything else. So it's and conditioning so, you in a way that you don't know anything otherwise. Yeah. Time. You just don't know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, if you're a parent who has a boy, like have the conversation and say, Hey, look, I understand you're probably gonna start watching porn. Let me give you like a visa gift card that you can use to like go to some of these sites instead kind of mm -hmm. thing, because that's the reality. Like the boys are going to watch porn. But if you're talking about a grown adult who has been with women before and mm -hmm. understands that the average woman doesn't look like a porn star. Mm -hmm. I think porn can sometimes be, um, I mean, when they've asked men why they watch porn, 
that's, it's usually not because they would prefer to do that versus being with an actual person. Mm -hmm. It's usually like, you know, I just, I wanted to blow off some steam or I was bored and I wanted to masturbate and porn just makes it easier to masturbate. Mm -hmm. So I don't, and this is, you know, the, the, the research, because as women, we think, oh, he shouldn't watch porn because he has me. And it's like, no, there, there are different reasons why men watch it. And, or they call any kind of porn watching by their partner, porn addiction, which I think has become overly used to the point where there's really no meaning to it at all, mm-hmm. because it's healthy to watch porn. If you're in a relationship, I watch porn, I'm in a re- relationship. It doesn't mean that I'm like, mm-hmm. going to cancel plans with my partner to be like, sorry, I'm just taking care of my stuff over here. So I don't, <laughs> I, I think that it gets a little dangerous because you don't want to reduce men to the stereotype that all you care about is just getting laid because you Mm -hmm. can't have a connection. You can't cuddle with porn. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want, and yes, are there some men out there where it's destroying their lives? Yes. But I don't think the average man, I don't think porn is like destroying the average man and destroying the average man's ability Mm -hmm. to enter into relationships, especially if they've had relationships before. But Mm -hmm. if we're talking about like, boys who are growing up with this. Yeah. It can be a bit problematic, but I think if we're talking about sexually experienced men, I, I don't want to reinforce this idea that porn is evil and that porn is just substituting women and real connections because the data does, the data just doesn't support that. Mm-hmm. So. No, I, um, you know, statistics better than I do, but I, I do like, um, the debate about it because I think it can, it can teach us a lot. So what I'm kind of picking up and I don't know, maybe this, hopefully this makes sense. It almost depends on how we approach it, right? Whether we're single or in a relationship. So it would depend on how that, how that was actually incorporated. Almost like the more we know about ourselves and we know more about the subject, the better control we have over it almost like to to separate it from an addiction. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's like sugar. Okay. Like sugar, there's not anything inherently bad with sugar or flour, you know, these things that we've been taught to demonize. But if you're raised on a diet of freaking Mountain Dew every day, yeah, it's not good for you. But if you're like, oh, I'm going to add a little sugar to this because, and you're mindful about it and you have a reason for doing it, you know, sugar ain't inherently bad. Or if it's just like, I like a little sugar in my coffee in the morning. So yes, it's, it's all just how we're using it. Um, if we're being mindful about our porn consumption, um, and, and checking in, like, why do I do this? Like, what function does it serve for me and talking to your partner? Because let's be real. Most of us are watching porn. So talking about it if you want to, but on the other hand, I think that you are allowed a certain level of sexual autonomy and in your fantasies Mm -hmm. and your partner doesn't need to know everything and you don't need to tell everything. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm kind of taking a moment here. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to take this in. So from my angle, then see if we can find a common ground here. I think it would depend on how you exercise it then. Like Mm -hmm. in, in what way I think a lot of things become are unhealthy to us when we don't understand them or we don't, we can't admit that it might be out of control. I think like that, like that sugar, like we were saying, for example, you know, it's, it's super easy because it's put right in front of us. 
it's advertised right in front of us. Most of the things in the groceries uh, in, in the store are have added sugar unless you get down to whole food. It's what I understand as an athlete, you know, and, and, and doing the physical things that I do. And it still makes it very difficult because it's presented to you so easily. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, that, that's kind of the way that I see that as like, I guess I see the, the potential for it being such a dangerous thing because it's so accessible. And so I think I'm trying to get men to understand uh, that it can be out of control and that it can um, mess with the way that you have relationships if you don't understand it well enough or you're not incorporating it well enough or you're, you're, yeah, um, is that, is that kind of. Absolutely. And it's taking a step back because we can have unhealthy relationships with most things. We can have unhealthy relationships with food, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Brene Brown gives this analogy. It's the difference between like saying, oh, I'm going to have a cookie after dinner and that's going to be my little dessert versus Mm -hmm. like standing up in the kitchen and hailing like a sleeve of Girl Scout cookies. It's the why, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, you asking the why, um, are you canceling plans so that you can stay home and watch porn? Ooh. Right. Like, just like, are you canceling plans because you want to binge eat at home? Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's the why I, but I don't think, I think porn is inherently neutral. I don't jump on the camp on the bandwagon of porn is the devil. And it, you know, I I think that you just have to use it responsibly. Mm -hmm. No. Uh, what was the other thing I kind of, uh, describe this as, um, like what, what we kind of said before, like, it's to me, it's almost like a tool. Like you use it for, for what works for you almost like the weights at my gym, they're a tool. Um, but also like, think about it this way. Sorry. Another thing, like, imagine if you are somebody who is discovering your own sexuality and it doesn't Mm -hmm. conform to the standard heteronormative or Mm -hmm. standard gender and, you know, you're questioning your sexual fluidity. You're questioning your gender identity. How affirming would it be to know, like, I can go watch people doing that mm-hmm. and they're normal when you can't come out to the people around you about it. So there it's, it, it can do as much good as it can harm is what I'm trying to say. It can yeah. really give a lot of people who are feeling like they're the only ones right. Or mm-hmm. who are trying to understand who they are and what their sexuality is give them a way to normalize and reduce shame and see like there are people that look like me out there or they look like what I want to look like, you know, like watching trans porn. If you're questioning, you know, like what, what are, what are my options here? Like it can be very powerful if used, if used responsibly, but I think it's you saying, well, I see that men who haven't done the work don't know how to use it responsibly. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, um, all of us can have, see, I've been called out on this and I'm glad that you're going through this conversation with me because, uh, it's been, it's been interesting trying to discover myself and in that process, not demonizing things like kind of like what you're saying. I've been called out on like this idea that I find the problem rather than the solution, mm. you know, um, which is fair. Like I can take that in and, and understand that there, there is a, 
wrongdoing that you can do by just calling out the problem because that's what a lot of the world's doing anyways right like there's so much drama because we're calling out the problems rather than us finding solutions to things um so i appreciate that i appreciate that thank you like it's good to know that somebody will you know say like hey like it can be a good thing um yeah yeah you know me i'm always going to speak my mind but all but i think we're both coming from the same place which is you're saying, I've seen how this can be used really wrong. Yeah. And I'm saying, I've seen all the ways it can be used beneficially. Yeah. And so, yeah. but saying, you know, both are true. Both mm-hmm. are true. Well, and it's something I, I try to, I want to emphasize for everybody out there as much as you can is like the biggest lesson I've learned is taking in every perspective and doing it almost objectively, because once you tie something to a person it's far easier for them for you to judge them and their position and like demonize it or or deflect from it you know perspective changes the world like diversity changes the world our differences are amazing things and the more we decide not to accept perspective and point of view and opinion you know the less we think about anything outside of ourselves and our own personality our own character our own opinions i guess it's like if you're not taking in others then you're doing yourself a disservice and the world a disservice in my opinion yeah and you know think about all the other ways too that here i am now now you've got my brain thinking like and <laughs> what are all the ways that porn is beneficial but there are sometimes situations where you want to watch porn about something that you don't actually want to do in real life or you can't mm-hmm. do in real life mm-hmm. And it provides a safe way to indulge that fantasy a little bit. I mean, circling back to where we started with fantasies. So maybe you're a woman and you have a gangbang fantasy, but you're like, I am never actually going to do that. You can watch some gangbang porn. Maybe you're a woman and you're like, I want to watch some gay male porn. I mean, clearly I'm not a man and I can never be a man, but like I, it's so fascinating to me or like it turns me on. So there's actually, I think for women, even it creates a new way to safely explore fantasies. So would you say it's this like potential ability to discover more about yourself kind of thing? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Cause yeah. I've found myself, you know, cause I get curious about everything and I'm like, Whoa, I didn't think I was going to be into that. Like, what's that about? <laughs> And so I'll give you an example. Obviously, you know, I, I have no shame. There's like no lie <laughs> when it comes to me. Everybody but, prepare. <laughs> yeah. But like an example, right, is like me stumbling upon like all male like gay porn mm-hmm. and just like a, a group of dudes and they're going at it. And I'm like, this is pretty hot. Okay. Clearly. Really? Okay. Like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm not a man. Like, why? What, what's this doing for me? And it's like, well, penises kind of turn me on. And there's a lot <laughs> of penises here. Mm. And I think there's something really sexy about men who know how each other's bodies work, right? It seems almost less performative to me Uh because men can't really fake orgasms like women can. Uh And so- um, Oh man, I would love to hear some guy try. (laughs) Right. But it's like, you know, the the evidence is kind of there usually, right? But (laughs) but there's a different quality to gay male porn than I think your standard run of the mill, really highly produced heterosexual porn. And um, so that's just an example of like, well, yeah, clearly I'm, I'm not going to do that. I am non-gender questioning. Like I'm a woman, um, I identify as a woman, but 
yeah, like that was a surprise for me, but it was an opportunity to really reflect and be get curious about my own arousal and my own desire and yeah, branch out a little bit, like try watching stuff you never thought that you would watch. And <clears throat> yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, it's like, it's like that difference between rigidity and, and, and fluidity. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's such an importance in the balance of the world. Like organic is, ugh. I mean, outside of the food realm, like organic, we, you know, I think we get so far away from our biological needs, like emotional needs, you know, physical needs, uh, psychological needs. Um, I almost think that a, a lot of us that are trying to uh, bring in new information and and trying to teach are offsetting so much so much rigidity in the world, you know, like that that takes away take us takes us away from our actual biology of things. Um, so no, I think this is is fantastically important, and um, I know we started off with fantasy, and I kind of want to end with fantasy. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think is most important right now in that in that realm of fantasy for people? You know, even if it's something we kind of tapped into, like what does that look like for to you for like the health of people? as far as fantasy goes. Yeah, that we want to cultivate them. Um, We want to cultivate them that you need to understand that a fantasy does not have to be elaborate with props and scripts and all these things, although it can be if you want it to be. But a fantasy is just anything that heightens your arousal. Like a lot of people have romance fantasies. They fantasize about like cuddling on the couch or being out on a date, right? You're raising your hand. like Yes. And so that's a type of fantasy too. And so people will say, I don't fantasize. I just wish he would, you know, slow down and kiss me a little differently on my neck. And, and it's like, well, that's a fantasy. Mm-hmm. And so saying that um, fantasies are very healthy. If you are disturbed by your fantasy, go in and say, what's the emotional need this is trying to fill, mm-hmm. right? That's the, that that's going to eliminate a ton of the shame there. Um, and talk to your partner about your fantasies because th- Yes. uh, Partners who talk about their fantasies report overall better sexual functioning, um, more sexual satisfaction, and just increased overall relationship satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So let's like try to take the stigma, the shame, the taboo out of having fantasies. So Mm -hmm. that's, I think, what I would like to leave people with, that fantasies are your friend. And it's understandable why we might be scared of them. But if you see them as just, it's kind of like a dream, like the dream, you don't take the dream literally. It's something Mm -hmm. underneath that. And it's just finding that thread underneath that. What emotional need, what emotional need does this meet for me? Mm -hmm. Do I want to act this out? Do I not? What else could I do that will still meet that emotional need? And do I want to involve my partner in it? So would you say um, that it is like, almost like understanding that there's a reason that we have fantasy and like not to reject it so harshly. Like anything, if you reject it, it'll become an unhealthy psychological preoccupation. So no, we want to embrace them. We want to get curious about them. Um, We don't want to reject them. We can't really reject them. It's the problem. We just have to indulge them and we can do that very safely, very safely. Good. I think, 
Rina, this has been a fantastic talk. Um, you are you also doing some work in in the fantasy stuff? I mean, are you doing it directly with clients, or did you have anything else that was that that was out there? Um, I I just finished teaching a two part class on sexual fantasies in the Tat Lab. Ooh, um, okay. I am about to be. I can't name the company yet, but I am going to be um, on on the launch team for a global wellness company. So follow me on Instagram and that's going to be public in the next few weeks. And I will be teaching about sexual fantasies again there. Um, and then come work with me too. Uh, and people can find me on Instagram or my website, which is renamartine.com. Rena, thank you so much. This has been great. I, I honestly, I can't wait to talk to you again. We're going to have to talk in the next few months. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm always up for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, this has been good. Uh, thanks guys uh, for being here. This has been a great episode with Arena. Um, Please, please, please go look at her work because she has so much data out there and she has so much knowledge based around um, all of this type of work. Um, and if you're more, if you need to kind of figure out how to get away from shame and how to enjoy these impulses that you have and the fantasies that, fantasies that you have, I think it's super important to dig in. And I think the best place right now is to start with Rena. Um, check out her work. But beyond that, you guys have been great. Thanks for joining us again. Um, stay strong, stay rebel-minded. I'm your host, Zach. Out. Hey, guys. I hope that all things we've brought here, including the people, have helped you change the way that you see the world. And if it has, then it would help us so much if you leave a rating and a comment on iTunes or give any feedback wherever you listen to the RMP. Thank you for listening in, and don't forget to follow and subscribe. Question everything, my friends.